All right, I'm here with Wayne. Happy New Year, Wayne. Happy New Year. How are you? You're looking great. You're looking really good, my friend. <laughs> oh, is that right? <laughs> I'm fine. Yes, all good. <laughs> enjoyed uh, enjoyed my Christmas and New Year break. So it was fine. Quiet family stuff, and then didn't do much over New Year. I guess when you get older, you kind of give up on the doing uh, some mega night out. So yeah. it was rather. I, I stayed out with my 10-year-old. Everyone else went to bed, and I stayed out with my 10-year-old and saw her in the new year. Oh, nice. So. Yeah, there's, a, there's a, a moment in everybody's life, and considering that we're continuing a conversation about us being in, approaching lower middle age, there is a... And I'm pretty sure we've both reached this moment in life where you equate the value of a journey out into the abyss with the length of recovery time it will take and decide whether these things are worth it or not. And New Year's is a journey not worth it. And so I commend you on your sensible <laughs> choice. Yeah. Well, it, it was, yes, absolutely right. I Yeah, as you get older, the recovery time gets longer and the, the amount of drinking or self-abuse you can do is much less. It's just your body's way of telling you to know your limits, Yeah, I think. It was a busy time for United, despite the lack of football since, what, when we played Forest, and there hasn't been a game since the Forest game, so no midweek game, and we're not playing till Monday, so it's actually a surprisingly mm. long break for this time of year for the team, but actually surprisingly busy at the club as well, yeah. because Jim Ratcliffe and his team obviously announced the partial takeover on Christmas Eve and then on Boxing Day released a 240-page SEC filing, which we talked about last time, which everyone has poured over in great detail, sexy stuff. And then he was in the club just this last week with his team meeting, uh, but ostensibly meet and greets because the takeover hasn't been ratified yet, or partial takeover, I should say, Yeah, uh, to... to to meet the interim CEO and the manager, the football director, and so on. So we've got that to talk about. There's some transfers and contract news to discuss, yeah. which caused like a minor controversy on online. I don't know. I didn't think much of the contract extensions. And <laughs> then there's the game against Wigan on Monday night in yeah. the FA Cup to talk yeah. about. Where, where, where should we start? Start with the... The triggering of the online community and the triggering of the extensions. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. That seems like a good place to start. I've missed this, by the way. I, mean, I haven't missed the news, but I've missed the triggering. I, I could imagine, considering the identity of the individuals, some people would be riled up. But they seem, it seems fairly sensible, right? Yeah. I, I think uh, if, well, so, so what was it? It was uh, Victor Lindelof given a one year extension. Well, they triggered the one year option, which they, the club seems to put into all the deals these these years. And Aaron Wan-Bissaka, an extra year, they would have both been out of contract in the summer, so they're, they're both extended to 2025. And the non-triggering of the contract extension for Rafa Varane, which, which of the three, he's obviously the sort of highest profile, most silverware. I think I've made that word up, and but also has the highest wages. So, yeah. so they didn't trigger that one. Still can do. Yeah. At any point between now and the summer, if they decide to, they've certainly done that with players in the past. So, yeah, I think the controversy is just like people want more and more and more, don't they? And 
in Lindelof and Wenbaseki, you've got two players who have mixed performances over their times with United. But I know I would argue, maybe you have a different view. I'd argue that perfectly good squad players maybe haven't lived up to eighty million pounds worth of talent there. I yes. don't know, but but I'm sure Ten Hag would like them in his squad, and he's used both pretty extensively. Probably Lindelof more than Wenbaseki this season. Um, well, yeah, first of all, because of Lindelof's availability. And he, that's one thing that you can say about Lindelof is that he's all, he's generally been available. He's had a few injuries, but he's generally been the one yeah, mostly, yeah. who's always available when other players are injured. So there's that reliability about him. I will agree. I do think that's a fair thing to say that, you know, is it 80 million worth? I know you and Paul, Paul made the excellent welcome back, Paul, fearfully in appearance. Always welcome to watch. When I'm not participating, you are welcome to be on when I'm participating as well. I just think there's not enough room, obviously, for three voices in, in this kind of dynamic. Um, wow, that sounded so cruel. Well, um, I did. Yeah, yeah. Ed, why don't you clear off and then Paul and I can talk? Hey, you're, you're more than welcome to, yeah. That was, that was, I don't mean, I, I do mean the nice things. I don't mean the unnecessarily critical things. And anyway, so the point was made really well about the value of, you know, the spend is about valuing the players, obviously. And that's a very different conversation. Is there 80 millions worth of value in Wambasaka and Lindelof? I don't think for 30 million, considering the market value of players, I think Lindelof is probably fair to see what yeah. we've got from him. We've probably had about that. I won't say he's been a fantastic player. There were times where he, he has looked fairly timid, but then in, and it was kind of amusing to me that the Iceman persona that they, they sort of bestowed upon him. But it, within this dynamic of United's defenders, it probably is the Iceman. I don't know how it happened, but he, he kind of has mm. grown into that a little. I wouldn't say that he's particularly vintage like, but I think he's in terms of, Resolution, I think he's, he's, he's fairly good like that. Wambasaka is a curious one because if you ask me, does he have the potential to be a 50 million pound right back? I think absolutely. I still think there's a potential of the best defensive right back in the league in there. And he, he played so he, his recovery to come back last season after Christmas because he was, he was out, not just out in the cold. He was like Donny van der Beek out. Yeah. So, so his recovery last season was magnificent. And his performances have generally been that way. He's had a couple of, a couple of stinkers. Don't get me wrong. Who hasn't? And he's been, he's been very consistent. No, I think since his return, a lot of us have looked at his, what he brings to the side and said, this is brilliant. What he brings to the side since his return. I'm talking since Tenog has been manager and he, he brought it back in. There hasn't been as much discourse about his attacking output and things like that, which I think is nice because there's a, there are many things to criticize about many of United's players. So it's nice to just concentrate positive. Yeah. We've seen that he's not been in the squad because of Dallo being selected, even when he's been recovering and, and from, from injury, which is a curious thing. But I think Tenog has displayed excessive patience with some players. And this seems to be one of those cases. Yeah. And one sack has perhaps suffered from that. So I think the, the exercising of the options is very good. Whether or not the value for money is, is a different thing. Wan-Bissaka has still got potential to do so. I think you're right in terms of them being squad players. Do I see one, uh, Lindelof in a team that challenges for the league? No. Do I see Wan-Bissaka in a team that challenges for the league? It's a maybe. 
but you'd have to sort out the rest of the defense. Yeah. There's a potential that there's a really, really good player in Wamba Saka. His tackling is some of the best that I've seen at the club. And I go back to like, you know, we see his tackling ability. I'm talking like Paul McGraw, Les Brown, players who, who would love to watch make a tackle because the art of tackling, they understand mm-hmm. it, which you don't always see with defenders. No, no, you can, you can appreciate that in, in Wambasaka. So, that, yeah, I'm, uh, people may be upset. I'm not. I think they're sensible. I, I think it's fine. I think the curious thing with Wambasaka is if you were going to, both him and Dalo are, are flawed players in, in different ways. I mean, they're yeah. not, Wambasaka is obviously quite limited going forward. He's, I guess, improved, although his numbers don't really show it. He's not awesome in possession. Then again, Dalo, who's supposedly better often doesn't show that either. He's com- he's comfortable inverting in a way that Wambazaka isn't, but he doesn't really provide any attacking output either. But the curious thing I find is if you were going to give a five-year contract, it probably, for me, would have been Wambazaka and then improve on Dallow, go find an attacking right back somewhere. And they did it the other way around. So that, that was a little curious, I think. Yeah. Because I'm not sure that amongst... Dallow's years, intermittent years with United, he's really ever shown the kind of quality that would deserve another f- contract. But maybe that was the old regime. And now maybe now we're we're into a new era and they're going to take uh, a different view on contracts and renewals and so on. For Varane, the other one, I mean, I think the thing is, he's obviously a, like we just saw with his performance at Liverpool, he's obviously still the best defender that we've got but he can put in that kind of uh, like yeah. stupendously high quality performance there, there are reasons why ten Hag doesn't quite trust him and i think it's a, a, about retention of possession although it, it seems in this particular team like he's almost punishing Varane for not being the player that he wants in six months time when we've got over all the problems not now yeah. and then there's his fitness record which is pretty poor but Unsurprising, given it wasn't so awesome right at the end of his time at Real Madrid as well, and we talked about it on the pod when he signed. So, and he's on massive wages. The, so, the thing they, with, so, sorry to interrupt. Sir. The thing with Varane and that, and I think you're absolutely right. I think it probably does come down to the injury thing, the fact, the disparity in what the other defenders can and can't do, and the other defenders' um, record of availability. And the disjoint nature that, that can bring to our disrupted backline from game to game is probably the thing that's put Varane on the sidelines because, like him or not, Maguire, he's such a dominant personality in terms of how his strengths and weaknesses impact everyone else. But because he was available for that period of time and Tenor had to kind of model that defence around him, it does impact what you can do around him. And obviously, for whatever reason, and it's probably right for Ran and Maguire, he doesn't see as a, a complementary pairing. And I think that that's the thing that impacts Varane in to- on top of the, his own flaky availabilities because, because there's such disjointedness in that back line, the qualities of all of those players do not see, you know, like Chelsea's back line under Mourinho with Carvalho and Cole and, and Ferreira and whoever else said they're right back and mm-hmm. Terry. All of the qualities obviously complemented each other and they were perfectly drilled and everything like that. And United's, and you can argue this through the entire squad, is that one player doesn't seem to complement the player who's playing the side, 
yeah. the side of him, you know. And we have tried. You know, he's trying to get there, and he is kind of getting there when he's got a fully fit complement. But when we don't, the disjointedness of it and the the disparity of these qualities from one player to the next is so extreme mm. that I think that in Varane's case, where he has been available, but only sort of intermittently, that's why he's been on the yeah. sidelines for as long as he has been because it's been so difficult for. Tenog to sort of say, I can't keep moving my back line like this. I've got to kind of get some stability in there. And it wasn't great because option B, which we saw with Lindelof and Maguire, and unfortunately we've seen for years before Tenog, isn't up to it. It's cost us massively. In, in yeah, yeah. Games. I think it's fair yeah. enough. But, well, uh, one thing about that Chelsea back four, I mean, the, the talents were complementary. The other thing is they were all total assholes. All of them. Absolutely. To a man, the yeah. most vile humans you can imagine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, it was. So that was a great talent spot for for that. I'll pick those four. So I was going to go Arsenal with Winterburn, Bold, Adams, and Dixon. Dixon, but the, but I'm talking to supporters of my age, and we're trying to appeal to a younger audience. You know, it's still 2005. <laughs> yeah, Good yeah. grief, 2005. That's um, ten years ago, don't come. Yeah. Don't correct me, anyone. Let, let, let's make some comparisons with Martin Buckingham. And, yeah, like yeah, you know, re- really, I'd go there. I'd go you, there, but you would, yeah, um, would, would uh, alienate any, anyone under forty-five. I think at that point. So, all right. <laughs> well, I guess that's contracts. We're going to hear lots more about that. I imagine once Dave Brailsford, Jean Claude. I was going to call Jean Claude Van Damme. Jean-Claude Blanc. <laughs> that would be, now, that would be a story. Jean-Claude Van Damme is taking over as Manchester United CEO. Jean-Claude Laurent Blanc. He could have gone that way as well. Well, could have gone that way as well. So Blanc, Brailsford, and Ratcliffe Wall at United this week. Yep. Meet me and greets, meeting the staff, which I have to say, like, two things they've done without actually even having ratified their ownership yet, the new group. One, They've come and meet the staff. That's a pretty rare event over the last yep. 20 years or so, and in a quite public way. And they've uh, injected some new capital. Well, there'll be $200 million worth of capital immediately and another 100 before some point this year, 2024. Could be at any point, but certainly before the 31st of December. So positives already. There's There's been quite a lot of commentary around the meetings. So Ten Hag talked about it. He said, we talked for hours and hours and we had, we were aligned on a lot of issues. It did get me thinking, and maybe this is the way my brain works. What are they not, not aligned on? I really wanted to be a fly on that wall. I yeah, it's mo- most of the issues, wasn't it? Most it's of the a- issues. Yeah. I was like, oh, please tell me. What is it you disagreed about? I want to know. Because, <laughs> because that would have been juicy, but a lot of reporting. So I don't, don't know if you sounded like a, some commentary, back channel commentary going into some reporters. Uh, Mark Critchley did a, a deep piece on The Athletic about this. But as you can imagine, they they are looking at, uh, and, and apparently this is the case, they are looking at the structure of the football side of the club first, yeah. and then they'll worry about the manager later. And that, uh, for me, that's exactly what they should do. Let's yeah. get the systems in place that are right, and then we'll worry about whether Ten Hag's the right man or not later in the summer or something like yeah. that. There's plenty of time to think about that. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know what your thoughts were on on the week, but uh, I don't know. It gave me positive vibes already. 
thing. No, yeah, and also the, so the only flippant comment we made on the last pod was the, the communication with most as well, which was previous. Yes, yeah, yeah. So to speak. So there are three things that he's they, they've done before actually being ratified as part of Manchester United officially. So yeah, I, it's got to be positive. Everything seems like it's positive in terms of that. you're right. The communication is is vital. It's very good. These things, the normals, no, no, normals take for granted that there should be communication and things like that. So to have, and it seems like, I mean, I'm not doing the begging ball, poor, great, poor biggest club in the world, Manchester United, like, but we, we're not used to these things. So, so yeah. to see it happen and, and also the fact that they were there, because these things can be done anywhere in, in the world these days. These things can be done anywhere. So for him, for all of them to be there on the ground, talking to people, having those conversations is obviously it's only a positive thing. The the thing that I would say is because these are the first steps, we still, we, we don't know anything about it. The, the pleasantries really, everything's pleasantries and at least they are pleasantries because these things can be screwed up as well. But everything's going well so far. The PR sort of mission is, is working. It couldn't have failed, I don't think. But you can hit a bum note, unpredictably. You know, I haven't done that so far. Ratcliffe and everyone are saying the right things. All of the feeling, all of the vibe about it is really positive. And there's not a wrong step so far. And obviously, we, we wait to see how these things are operating. Actually. Yeah. I've got to say that I did find it funny. The exact same thing that you did with Tenog saying that most of the things, because I'm like, He's not in a position. I, I, by the way, anyone who's listened to us all season knows that I'm going to back Tenor beyond what's reasonable, bar five nils at home to Liverpool and stuff like that. I, there is obviously, there's obviously a line, but I am absolutely going to back the manager beyond what most people would consider reasonable. So, and I back him to concede and I, uh, to, to continue and hope that he continues and succeeds beyond the summer. But I do find it funny that he said, he said that. It's kind of like he's the one holding all the cards. And it's kind of like, no, we've lost 14 games before the turn of the year. Yeah. That's <laughs> going to be one of the key things that we don't agree about. <laughs> and unfortunately, yeah, yeah. that's one of the things that you've delivered. And we're, that's going to have to be rectified in the short term. And there are some question marks over the things that you've been doing lately, pal. And we're, they're, they're fair to be asked. So don't come here like he sounded like he was the one calling the shots to them which i will say with this one thing about all of this structure sorry for going on but the thing that i want to see from this and i do want to see it from the manager but it's difficult when you enter the nitpicking of the individual results because all of the individual put um, decisions become fairly scrutinized like substitutions and things like that you Mm -hmm. didn't see that a lot on and I'm not just using this because it was successful and it's the obvious frame of reference. Under Ferguson, you wouldn't see scrutinization of substitutions or team selections because there was a bigger picture at play. And yes, all right, you didn't because you wouldn't question him because of the success. But what I mean is in a successful structure, you don't normally see that kind of micro scrutinization of individual mm. decisions like you have a manager who operates with broad strokes. They make major decisions. And unfortunately for Tenog, this isn't his own making, all of it, is that he's had a lot of those broad stroke decisions like Sancho, like Greenwood, like Ronaldo, these massive operational decisions that can, if handled wrongly, 
incorrectly or handled well, they have a massive positional shift over the mood of the entire club and the way they move. Yeah. And a lot of those decisions, he's really? not right. But the, the smaller stuff in terms of the injuries and everything like that, well, obviously that might not be his fault. But then all of the uh, decisions that are made when form is going bad, when all of the, the micro analysis has come about with the substitutes and the team selections, a lot of those missteps of late. And I want, and I hope that this is something that can be rectified by, by the end of the season. And maybe, maybe it can, maybe it can't. But this is, this is mostly on the manager and his ability to pull himself out of this hole is that by the end of the season, we're talking about United in those kind of broad strokes again, because he can do that. We weren't talking about the end of last season either, because he was getting all of the, well, even though the form was bad and it had dropped off, we'd still got to where we needed to be in some yeah. elements. We'd probably, probably overachieved as well. And he had that credit in the bank and he doesn't have that now. And yeah. now, so he's kind of, that's the thing that I want to see in this next, in these next few weeks. And that's when you see a club that's well managed from top to bottom. And you can take, I mean, now I think, and you're in a position to comment on this. I think things like the, the debt, things that really saddled the club down before are almost consequential. Um, subsequent, well, consequential issues, inconsequential issues is what the word that I'm looking for in terms of how we'll be operating in that sort of like 18 to 24 month period. So it mm. does become about the decisions that Ratcliffe and Brailsford make in terms of the personnel that they employ and the direction that we'll begin to see what they see from the football side. Cause that will yeah. only really become apparent over 18 months. But then also that Tenorg thing that we can start looking at him and start looking at the broader strokes, the management and say, all right, well, this is how his defense looks. This is how his midfield looks. This is how the attack looks. This is how his team looks. All of these kind of things without saying, he's picked bloody Maguire and it's to Lindelof and it's not working. Why is he playing Dallow at left back? All of those little things that you only really get into the nitty gritty like that when a club's in crisis. You don't mm. ask those questions when a, a team's going well. Mm-hmm. Or when a manager yeah. is showing good leadership, yeah, that yeah. is on that parts on ten on ten org. Whether or not he's been handicapped, hamstrung by hand tied, handcuffed by all of the things around him, I'm trying to find the right handcuffed is probably the right term for everything that's around him in terms of what he's been able to do. All of the questions that have been asked are fair. I've given yeah. him plenty of excuses, but he's in this period of time where he's got leeway above him in terms of they're going to let him manage for this next six months or so. The players are coming back. We should see some form of identity dis- discounting the thought of another crisis, which could happen. You never know. Assuming it doesn't, we should see something that looks like a proper team. So then you should see strong leadership. It doesn't matter. Then if you talk about, and I know, sorry, I'm going on, but it doesn't matter if you talk about FA Cups and Champions League qualification because you're talking about direction. And that's the most important thing that's going to matter to Manchester. From my point of view, as a supporter, yeah. that's the thing that matters most to Manchester United. At least I think this clarity over the last two weeks provides us, as supporters, some, like some clear ground to now evaluate what the manager can do for the next five months. 
you'll be judged yeah. fairly on what's going to be on that. So. I think I think that's all fair. And a few a few points in there, like so, we're not going to see a lot of movement right now in terms of new sporting director, money in the winter window, or anything like that. I don't I don't think that's likely to happen. We'll see that over the next few weeks, and and so on. These things always take time. If they do bring in some of the names that have been mentioned in the press. There, there are gardening leave windows and all of that in contracts and so on. So it's going to take a little while for the big structural things to, to come out. And I'm sure that Ratcliffe will take the big picture here and, and think about like getting that bit right first. And, and I think that was some of the commentary in the press that yeah. his people were letting it be known that he wants to get that bit right. What is going to deliver for Manchester United in the long term? What is going to deliver success? Something that came out in the press that he didn't say directly, but has been reported on by multiple sources, is that he considers su- success to be silverware and getting United back to a preeminent position on the pitch rather than revenue and making money. Now, of course, he can say that from a personal point of view because he's worth £30 billion pounds, uh, and uh, is, um, is the uh, largest shareholder in a albeit private company that delivers 80, 60 billion a year in revenues, right? So this guy's fuck you rich beyond comprehension, right? So he can say that. But also, isn't that what we always wanted? We want a benevolent dictator. If it's not going to be fan ownership, the next best thing is benevolent dictator. And in fact, from a governance point of view, it may even be better than fan ownership. And he, he he's coming across in the early very early portion of his ownership as a fan that wants the best of the club. And that gives me all good vibes. Now, whether they make the right decisions around the personnel and the structure, we'll see in time. I think I said on the, the pod with Paul last week that they made a lot of mistakes, but they're probably going to learn from those mistakes. And they appear to have done so at Nice. And they made some backroom changes there and then tried to get the structure right. And hopefully they've learned from that. And, and the club can move forward. You mentioned the debt. Briefly on that one, I don't think anything will happen on that for quite some time, and that's because he's a partial owner, not a full owner. Um, And so I would not expect to see any movement on debt before we get – well, we've got a three-year window. I think it will happen sooner, but a three-year window in which either a 100% sale will happen to a third party, as yet unknown, or to Ratcliffe and Ineos. And then, then we can see whether that debt is cleared or not. I don't think it matters so much. Obviously, it's twenty million pounds worth of interest a year, which could be put to something else. Uh, we already know those dividends aren't going to be taken for the next three years. That's twenty-two million pounds a season that is going now going back into the club and uh, not out of it, which is a good thing. And uh, yeah, I, for me, it all feels like a positive start. We'll see what decisions are made, but clearly there's some different thinking here. I did think it. Like just to close out this bit, it was kind of amusing that there were no direct quotes, right? But uh, from any of the parties except for Ten Hag on this, there's some back channel reporting, and part of this is because there's a quite broadly written non disparagement clause in the in the sales contract, uh, which is very very common. Nothing special here, but basically, don't slag off your new partners, which I think is fair enough. M- much as we'd, I'm sure, love to. Have him take the microphone at Old Trafford and dump on Joel and Avi. 
<laughs> I don't expect him to do so. But it's uh, quite close to the wind, I, I would say, just on terms of the back channel commenting. But yeah, all, all good fun. Anyway, that's so can what, I, like more. You want, yeah, go ahead. You, wanted, go to ahead. Cl- you yeah. wanted to close out, but I, I have to jump in with one last thing. You, you mentioned Martin Buchan. I'm going to go way further back just because I can. I've got freedom to do so in a democratic society. God, what am I talking I'm talking about James Gibson. That's what I'm talking about. Oh, and you have, that is you way, way go, back, yeah. You were you just a little nipper when he was around as well. <laughs> so. Yeah, I had a full head of hair. Um, oh, God. Okay, so we're going back almost 100 years. So 1933, he he became United Chairman. And his era of benevolence was like he saved the club from bankruptcy, sent every player a Christmas turkey before and made sure the salaries were paid in full to sort of assure them could have a good Christmas. Then he provided the club with transfer money as a, a guarantee. You know, he provided them to sort of say, this is this is a, a gift to the club. You don't have to pay back. All these kind of things. He um, paid for travel infrastructure around Old Trafford to make sure that the, you know, the old-timers who supported Manchester United but couldn't get to Old Trafford, you know, so we're at Bank Street, or and before United moved to Old Trafford, the ones who couldn't get there provided infrastructure so they could get across the city, uh, made it an easily accessible, and that's all the things that sort of went towards making United an accessible team, which made them mm. the national and global powerhouse. And obviously, he provided the money to buy the cliff. He provided the finances for the and the infrastructure for the youth system. He provided money for rebuilding redevelopment of Old Trafford. He provided that money again after Old Trafford was bombed in the war. He went toe-to-toe with Matt Busby in the early years with when Busby was sort of struggling. Gibson was saying, take some money for some players. And he was like, no, I'd want to do it my way, which, you know, if you can imagine a chairman trying to hoist money upon a manager, the manager going, no, I'm going to play the youth players. Instead, and it all worked out for United and Gibson did get to see United lift silverware. And unfortunately, he didn't get to see the full fruits of the labour, but he, his benevolence was seen. And, you know, like the, the Gibson family remain, even to this day, close associated with United. And it drips down the generations now, of course. It's, I think, Alan Emley, his, his great nephew, who... I, I've managed to speak to him on a couple of occasions. He's really nice, actually, and obviously mm. they're very, very proud of what what they did, what 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 their uncle did, and obviously James' wife, Lillian, was on the board of of directors for United for for a long period mm. of time. All of this history lesson, Ed, for people who, who don't know it, is because the Edwards ownership from the the sixties onwards. And the, mm-hmm. obviously the Glazer ownership is all, all pretty much anyone alive has experienced of Manchester United and both of those ownerships. And um, it can argue the merits of either of them, um, or the, the negatives of either of them. Yep. But they're, they're being, both been controversial. And you could, I, I would argue, and I have a conversation about it, but this isn't the time or place that. There are some really good things that Martin Edwards did as chairman in terms of like making mm-hmm. sure that the club operated and, and redeveloped Old Trafford to make it the stadium that it was for a long period of time. He was the he was a major driving force in even to the point mm-hmm. we were all getting frustrated that we couldn't sign Gabriel by Stuter and things like that. Well, 
I would still like to see Batista go play at Old Trafford, but like I, I do like the fact yep. that Old Trafford was developed into the behemoth it has become. Now, all of that, again, to say that this is the first time in all of these generations, in a near century, that we've got an owner who is seeking to use his power in the same way, really, in a modern way, as James Gibson. He's seen his position as a custodian of the club and he wants to bring effect positive change to Manchester United. He's willing to input his own. And we're talking about a club who doesn't need money, by the way. He doesn't need outside injection, but he's providing capital injection to kind of facilitate, expedite that process. These are reasons... I, and I can't even express and articulate within the space of this podcast. And I know you want to talk about Wigan. I'm, I've seen the clock, Ed, don't worry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. You were wrapping this point up. I'm just saying that these are reasons beyond anything that you are, even you with your all the financial knowledge that you've got of all, and the way that you've articulated and brought down every step and sinew of all of this deal. There are reasons beyond things that we can't articulate for everyone to be positive, so long as oh, the, it always comes with the caveat that the decision making is is right, and that is something yeah. that I can't guarantee. But because of the benevolence, and we've never seen that in in a century of yeah. ownership yeah. in in our entire lifetimes, we have never seen this in Manchester United. Everyone. Everyone should be optimistic about this. And I don't, I just want to, that's my end part on it, Ed. I'm sorry. I just wanted to make yeah, sure yeah. That I, I put that point because I think a lot of people are going to lose the historical significance in that. And I don't think it's something that should be lost. I think that's great context, Wayne. Yeah, I think that's, it's really important thing to say. This is the first time, yeah, in a century that a an owner has put in really significant amounts of capital to the club and and the Edwards family did do some good things obviously very controversial as well not least the the first IPO in 1991 which in which they took money out rather than putting money in but uh, yeah great great point on on big Sir Jim's and and his own personal wealth that he's put into it and so there's quite a lot more of that to put in if he really wants to so all right We'll move on from that, and I'm sure there'll be more details coming out in the weeks to come that we can pour over. We have Wigan on Monday night. Sadly, for some of the folks making the short trip to Wigan, they aren't actually in trains back after the game. So if you're making the trip there, sorry about that. The powers that be thinking about the fans first, as always. Uh, But it is a very short trip to Wigan. Uh, When was the last time we played Wigan? I guess when they were in the Premier League uh, a few years back now. And they, yeah. they, it's, it's been a club that um, has gone through some really tough times recently, talking of ownership. Uh, Dave Whelan, no longer with us, but also uh, gave up ownership. They had financial troubles. They got relegated. They had points deductions. So they, they seem to be, they've got new owners now, so they seem to be safe and okay. And yeah, yeah. that's what we want with our community clubs, so them to be alive, right? And so they are alive and they look okay now and moving forward. And yeah, first time in a while we've played them. But uh, I'm sure the, the however many thousands of fans that are going there will uh, enjoy the magic of the cup this weekend. We we haven't played Wigan since they won the FA Cup. Yeah, and who did they beat in the final? I, well, I, I know this, not only because of the identity of the opponents, it was on my birthday. I'd gone out 
I, I forget where we went, but we came back. Cause I didn't, I didn't really have any interest in watching C win the FA Cup, but we came back like literally the last two minutes and we switched it on and then saw the glorious Ben Watson score against Manchester City. Um, so, you know, give me the best birthday present of the year. It was, um, yeah, it was great. And we haven't, I can't remember the result in the last season. I can imagine that we probably, we probably won in the last season. I do remember them beating us in 11, 12. So it cost us as we were going for the title. Yeah. But we, we had a long run when they, when they were first promoted in the Premier League and history lessons. We had a long run of beating them. And I know because I've been listening to all of these mini discs with Paul Jewell over, literally over the last week or so. I've been listening to a lot to the 05 or 06 season. And we beat um, Wigan 4 0 in the first game at Old Trafford. And then we got them in the Carling Cup final. And Jewell says, he's referring back to his Bradford days. His Bradford days where, where he came up with them in the Premier League. We beat them 4 0 back to back games. Um, anyone who wants to mention, of that one can just um, put on Paul Scholes' goal against Bradford at the Valley Parade um, in the towel oh. kit. Um, so that's how far back we're going. Um, some of you listeners weren't even born. Uh, why do I have to make everything about aging? Anyway. Uh, I anyway, don't know. I so, think it's because you're getting old and it's on your brain, Wayne. I know. Because like Carling Cup final, that was the one at the Millennium Stadium, if I'm yeah, so, correctly. So, yeah, what yeah, I'm saying yeah. on the Ramble, Jewel yeah. says, before the, the final, he says, look, I'm not bothered as long as we don't lose 4-0 again. I'm sick of losing 4-0 against Manchester United. You know what the score was. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, I went to that one. I remember uh, not being able to get back very easily because Cardiff Station couldn't cope with the number of fans that are there. But Foreshadowing um, for Monday night's game where no one's going to be able to get back. There you go. Yeah, well, it's a short walk, isn't it? Just the 30 miles or so. <laughs> we yeah. They're, they're only one these days, so it's an opportunity. Oh, God, I can't believe I'm going to say this. For, for Ten Hag to get some confidence into the squad with a comfortable victory. For podcast listeners, I am making a face because, yeah, nothing has been comfortable this season. And the interesting thing is, I, I guess Andre Anana is going to play in this one. I mean, it looks like there's been some... There's been some shenanigans with him going to the AFCON and he's going to play against Spurs on the 14th and then for his national team on the 15th, which I was, I was, I even got to getting onto Google and working out the flights and like, how, how the hell? Cause the, it's not, it's not taking place in Abidjan either, the, the match. And so he's got a bit of a, bit of a trek to get there in time, which is kind of interesting. So maybe he'll play or maybe we'll see Bayern Deer. I'm not sure. It's kind of interesting. We, took a national team player in Bayern Deer, Fenerbahce's first team keeper, and he's not had a sniff at all this mm. season. So I don't think any of us knows whether he's any good or not. So maybe he'll play. It'd be nice to see him, I guess. Yeah. And apart from that, there's not a lot of leeway in the squad. Quite a lot of the younger players were training with the first team this week. So I guess they'll fill out some of the substitutes bench with uh, some younger players. But there's not yeah. a lot of leeway given the extensive injuries the United have got to make a lot of changes here. So it's going to be a pretty strong side either way. No, my, my thought, yeah, he's not going to change the squad a lot. I think they can't really afford to take many chances. And again, you said like Butchwood and everything like that. Can't really afford to take too many chances with this one. Uh, we, I'm not saying that I think 
he's got to win the FA Cup, but he can't afford an embarrassment, really, and so he, he can't take a chance. And, and the thing is, like you just alluded to there, like, with Bayern Dier not playing, Tenog generally, where he can, plays his strongest side, and we did that to to detriment probably last season, but he did it to prove a mm. point because we, I'm sure we can, it doesn't take too much stretching of the memory cells to remember all of the disjointed inconsistent 11s that we were playing in them and then he, he ran 11 to death which you know great because we wanted to see that kind of consistency in selection he's trying to do that again it's been difficult for him to do that again so we are going to see that but we are in territory because we can will fancy themselves like they've seen what happened with forest and they know that it's a matter of attitude very much so with this manchester united side so it's not something that you can take for granted. You're looking at Manchester United side and really what you're saying is, is there a Mark Robbins in there? And we're, we're saying that for every game. Oh, because that's the severity of the situation. Mm. And I'm not, I'm not saying that saying you could get sacked after every result. I'm talking about players who can turn the fortunes of this club around. But we are there. We are there and these players need to stand up. God. All, all the chat about Ten Hag making it to the summer and taking the big picture into into account. The the things that would change that dynamic are if United lost a whole bunch of games in a row again, and we don't actually have a lot of games in January to lose. Hmm. We're not playing very many. But I guess if we lost this one and then to Spurs, people will be asking questions again. Yeah. I don't expect to lose to Wigan. This is a, a club trying to rebuild. There's obviously, you know, I don't know, 50 places between the sides. Or something like that. So, yeah, you would you wouldn't expect it. <laughs> oh, hey, but we're of an age to to come back to that theme. We're of an age when the magic of the cup and uh, and giant killing was some of my earliest football memories. Not not with you. Well, actually, I was going to say not with United, but there were a few. Bournemouth, wasn't it? In the yeah. mid eighties, I remember that one. But uh, yeah, I don't expect I don't expect Wigan to actually give United some trouble here, but. You never know. And that, that is without having seen Wigan play at all this season. So maybe they're much better than I think. So all would assume. I'm assuming. I'm um, much more confident than I am, which is telling yeah, something. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I think that's it. I'll let you go, Wayne, to your Friday evening. I know, well, in the you town. Know, I, no, I'm getting back in my DeLorean and going back to meet James Gibson to have a talk about Martin Buchan because that's me hitting the history books for another night you know what it's like with me boring 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 don't use that as the title <laughs> of the podcast Be oh there. no I, I I won't but it may be on the terraces on Monday night no. <laughs> thanks for listening everyone we'll catch you again soon